I'm Pastor Chris, and welcome, uh, welcome to Digital Online Church. For those of you who are um, anywhere in the world, and for those in the city of Paris at Paris Online Church, uh, thank you so much for being here. I, I know we've got a few people here in the room. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. We've got uh, people all over the world. And for those of you that are just learning about our online offerings, I want to give you a couple of things. Uh, write this down. You might be on Facebook right now. You might be on YouTube right now. But here's a place that I'd love for you to go. For those of you that are watching from anywhere in the world, uh, maybe open a new browser and just type in this, digital.online.church. Okay? It's going to take you to a page that is exclusively for our digital campus. And for those who are in the, the city of Paris, California, you can go to paris.online.church and you're going to be watching the same exact thing. But the neat thing is, is that Allie, and, and do me a favor, say hi to Allie, wherever you're at, type in your chat room, say hello to Allie. Uh, she is our online campus manager and so she is hosting in all of our different chat rooms right now. But the neat thing about our online.church platforms both our digital online.church platform and our paris.online.church platform, is that we get to interact in real time, and there is a Bible in there. If for some reason you don't have your Bible with you, there's a Bible in there, and we can do prayer. You can do prayer. You can say, Allie, can you pray with me right now? And we can be praying for you right there on the spot. So we invite you to those formats or to those platforms every Sunday morning, paris.online.church and digital.online.church. Now here's the thing. Let's say you want to go to church in this digital world and maybe you don't live here in Paris, uh, but you have, uh, you have friends and family that live in uh, Peoria. You can invite them and we can all go to church together. There's no limit now. There's nothing keeping us in one spot. This church is broadcasting everywhere, so I invite you to bring all of your friends and your family together. We're going to continue in our sermon series this morning called God's Design for Love. I'm going to ask you, if, if you ever travel, if you were to travel to Philadelphia, you're probably going to look for one particular food item when you get there, right? You're going, to, you're going to look for Pat's King of Steaks and you're going to order a Philly cheesesteak, right? If you ever go to Chicago, chances are you are going to order a Chicago deep dish pizza, right? That's what you do when you're there. If you ever go to Pismo Beach, you're going to go to Splash Cafe and you're going to order clam chowder in a bread bowl. That's just what you do. You're not going to go to Splash Cafe and order a bologna sandwich. You're not going to go to Chicago and order Domino's Pizza. You're probably not going to go to Philadelphia and order a bowl of spaghetti. These places in the world, they are known for these specialty items because they are very good at what they do. They might be the original creators of this amazing dish. But for some reason, when it comes to the important ingredients that God puts in his dishes, 
We tell God in many times that we are going to cook things our way even when God knows exactly what he's doing. Even though he has written the recipes, we're still going to show up with our way of doing things. I want you to know that God has written and given us a manual on love. He has given us a manual on his perfect love. But for some reason, we show up. We show up where he has dishes full of his perfect signature dish that he wants to give us. And we tell ourselves that our way is better than God's original recipe. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Some of you are going to be familiar with this. You're going to say, oh, that's the love chapter. And you're right. It is a love chapter in the Bible. And we're going to dive into this over the next two weeks as we continue in this sermon series called God's Design for Love. Now, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth right here in this, in this uh, letter. And he's going to stop between chapter 12 and chapter 14, where he's talking about spiritual gifts. But he's going to dive in and highlight the topic of love. Paul is telling his audience, and through God's providence, he gives us this description of what love is and what love is not. I'll take it a step further in our analogy. He's going to tell us what ingredients God puts into love and what God does not put into love. We're going to focus this morning on the what not. We're going to focus on what love isn't. A lot of times we like to quote verse number four. As a matter of fact, you could probably quote verse number four to me. Love is patient and love is kind. But if I were to ask you what love is not, chances are you might have a harder time writing down that list of what love isn't without some biblical prompts. Today we're going to look in and study some biblical prompts about what love is and what love is not. I want to read for you all of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to go from verse number 4 to verse number 13. We're going to put this up on the screen for you as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 or 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse number 4 says this, Love is patient and love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no records of wrong. It does not rejoice about injustices, but, but it rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, and is always helpful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now, our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of a whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. 
Verse number 11, when I was a child, I spoke and I thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. Just as God knows me completely. Bear with me, I'm going to back up for a second. We're going to see everything in perfect clarity all that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. From this scripture, we are going to focus this morning, we're actually going to focus on the negative. This morning we're looking at what love isn't. Love isn't arrogant. Love isn't rude. Love isn't insistent upon its own way. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. Love does not enjoy sin. If you listen to the world, your relationships will absolutely be a disaster. Because, see, the world's definition of love has absolutely perverted God's recipe for love. It's as if the world took God's recipe for love and they added so much salt to it that it ruined it, but then they serve you the dish and they call it good. Have you ever eaten something with too much salt? You're like, wow, uh-uh, and you scoot it over, right? You're like, yep, it's ruined. But our world continues to push its own definition of love on you. So let's do this. Let's dive in and, and look at some of the qualities this morning of what God's perfect love is and what it is not and what God's perfect love does do and doesn't do. Again, this morning we're going to focus on what God's perfect love doesn't do. For those of you taking notes this morning, I want you to write this down, and we're going to talk about this in small group on Monday evening at 6.30. Remember, small group, Sunday morning in small group, going together. Sunday morning in small group, write these down. We're going to talk about this. Point number one in your notes this morning, love does not torment. We're going to get this up on the screen for you in just a second. Love does not torment. For some reason, if we feel that we're in a relationship, we sometimes we feel like we're, we're privileged, that we have some sort of control, or we're supposed to allow a certain amount of control in our relationship. You know, the Bible never equates love and control. If we're using God's perfect love as our example for love, then we can easily see that love and control are not the same thing. Let me ask you this. Does God control you with his love? No, does he physically control? control you? Well, if, 
if God controlled us by his love, I would say that every single person would have turned their heart to Christ years ago. Looking at God's example of love, we see that love and control are separate. But for some reason in our world, we tolerate a certain amount of torment in our relationships and we misguidingly attribute it to love. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 and 5 again. Read this with me. Love is patient and love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. There's a gal named Sarah, a very beautiful 29-year-old marketing executive at a telecom company, and very independent, very strong, self-confident. Her husband owned a, a plumbing company, a business, very successful, handsome guy, kind of the life of the party. This couple on the outside... They just, they just seemed like the perfect couple, but something about Sarah seemed to be, she had this clumsiness to her. Sometimes she'd show up to, to work with some bruises after a, after a fall or maybe running into the door. And Sarah did end up in the ER one time with a, with a broken arm, two broken ribs, smashed face, concussions. Her husband was an abuser, and she was the target of that abuse. They separated for three months before Sarah took her back, and you've heard this, before Sarah took her back and she told all of her friends, I know he has a temper, but I love him. Right? Chances are you know somebody who has been emotionally tormented. Maybe you know somebody who has been emotionally abused. Or, or maybe, maybe a wife says something like, you know what, he's, he's my husband, and he knows my attitude. He knows that I speak forcefully at times. That's just the way we communicate. Or maybe there's a husband that says, well, you know what, that's my wife, and I can, I can treat her that way. See, in our relationships, we were never told to show anything other than love to one another. So if we are tormenting each other, either purposefully or maybe unknowingly, but in a way that becomes commonplace, so commonplace in our relationships that it becomes normal, we are living under a very perverted definition of love. We're not living under God's design and God's recipe for love. Sometimes silent torment becomes this emotional strain that can cause this sense of fear. Some wives fear the moment that their husbands walk in the door after work. Some husbands fear the way their wife is going to speak to them and, and belittle them. And we do this all in the name of love. 
The Bible talks about fearing God. I know that. We all have heard that. But we're not talking about being afraid of God hitting us. We're not being afraid of being beaten. We're talking about fearing God as in having deep respect for God. I want you to see what the Apostle John writes about God's perfect love. We're in 1 John chapter 4. This will be up on your screen too. 1 John chapter 4 reads like this. Such love, we're talking about God's perfect love, has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is not for fear, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. See, perfect love, perfect love does not fear. And perfect love does not cause fear. Has there ever been a time in your life, has there ever been a time when you were afraid in your marriage? Well, it very well is because you have not yet experienced God's perfect love in your marriage. You might not be afraid of being beaten, but... Maybe you were afraid at one point that your husband was going to leave. Or husbands, maybe you were afraid that your wife was going to leave. That's fear. Raise your hand if you have ever feared. Seriously, raise your hand if you have ever feared that God was going to leave you. See, that is perfect love. God never gives us any reason to believe that he is going to leave us. God never gave you conditions. He never said that I will love you until you cheat on me and then I'm done. <laughs> if that were the case, God would have left every single one of us on our wedding night. Every single one of us. I'm going to speak to two people right now. Those who either knowingly or unknowingly torment in the name of love. Or, second, those who knowingly or unknowingly allow yourself to be tormented in the name of love. See, neither of these are biblical. Stop reaching for the world's definition of love and accepting it as okay because the world's definition of love is not perfect. It is perverted. It has taken what God wrote. It has taken the recipe that God has created and it has perverted it, given it to you, served it to you and said that is okay. See, we have to learn what is in God's recipes and reject the world's recipe of love. They cannot both coexist. Our world seems to start its definition of love by asking this. Well, how does that make you feel? See, God's definition of love is not based upon how you feel but rather 
how you make others feel. Here's the second point in your notes this morning. Write this down because we're going to talk about this in small group. Love is not selfish. Divorce runs rampant in our culture. Marriages fail all the time for numerous reasons. There's so many different reasons why you go to the courthouse and, and you can check this box or check this box or check this box is the reason why the marriage is dissolving. But it all boils down to one of two things, selfishness or pride. All boils down. See, God's perfect love is humble. It doesn't start with self. See, God's love doesn't start with himself. Rather, God's perfect love starts with us. God's son did not die on a cross for God. Jesus died for us, the target of his love. I wonder if God thought about this before sending his son to the cross. I wonder if God asked himself this. Hey, what's in it for me? I'm going to sacrifice my son. What's in it for me? You know, if God truly answered that question, I wonder if he still would have sent Jesus to the cross. Because you know what's in it for God? Eternal life with a bunch of sinners. That's what's in it for God. Eternity living with us. And he still sent his son. I can't imagine what it is like to be God. But imagine this. He paid to spend eternity with you and me. Imagine who we are. God paid to spend eternity with us. Sometimes I wonder if, as humans, we really, really annoy God. Look at us. Look at what we do. I'll tell you personally, the people who I feel have one of the hardest jobs on the planet are daycare workers. I give them full credit. It's that person who opens up a daycare for children between maybe birth and 14 years old and then purposefully welcomes into their home every day 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 14, 20 kids per day. And you've got an adult and you're watching kids running around your house, drawing on your walls, pulling the dog's tail, maybe hitting each other, taking each other's toys, spilling Kool-Aid on the carpet. And as a daycare leader, you have told the kids time and time and time and time after time where your backpack goes where you, when you come in. Don't stick your tongue out. But, you know, don't pull hair. But yet the kids still do it every single day. You wonder about this. I wonder about this. Why do daycare workers show up at work every single day? Why do they do this? You know why? Because they love kids. That's why. 
I wonder if God looks at us the same way. Humans, we show up and we hit each other and we hurt each other. We take each other's things. We draw on the walls. We spill oil all over God's house that he created for us. We don't get along. We call each other names. We hit, we bite, we pull hair, we throw rocks. I wonder why God shows up every single day. You know why? Because he loves us. That is the definition of perfect love. And imagine, God wants, he wants to live with this big group of daycare misfits for eternity. Don't we annoy him? Maybe. But you know why he does it? Because there is a perfect love for us. He loves you so much that in order to keep his daycare open, he sent his very own son who used to be in this daycare, used to be here with us. He sent his very own son to die for the rest of us so that he could allow everyone else to live in his kingdom forever. See, perfect love is not selfish. Perfect love must sacrifice. It must sacrifice selfishness and pride. Let's bring this back to our relationships. Let's bring this back into our marriage. Let's see what Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. We're going to Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 25. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. Husbands, we're asking here, what do you get out of this marriage? Wives, are we determining your devotion to your marriage based on what you receive in return from your husband? Let me ask you this. Husbands, wives, let me ask you this. If you got absolutely nothing out of your marriage, would you still show up? Or would you leave? Husbands, if we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church, imagine what we must be willing to give up for our wives. Wives, stop looking across the couch right now. Your verses are coming in another sermon, I promise you. Okay? Husbands, you're supposed to be leaders of your household. And in order to be a leader, you're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have to give up pride and selfishness. If you want to be who you are, because that's just me, then you are keeping you in front of your marriage. See, God sacrificed his son so that he could have a healthy relationship with us. Any healthy relationship requires sacrifice of selfishness. 
I wonder if you've noticed this. The deeper you are in love with somebody, the more you can't stand the things that hurt them. Here's the third point in your notes this morning. We're going to talk about this tomorrow too. The more you love, the more you hate. The more you love, the more you hate. Let me tell you something. The more you love your grandmother, the more you hate the cancer that took her life. The more you love your father, the more you hate the sin of addiction that has removed him from your family. The more you love your mother, the more you hate that depression that has locked her into a box. And the more you love God, the more you hate anything that hurts him. Let's talk about your marriage. Wives, the more you love your husband, the more you are going to hate what hurts him. Husbands, you may not understand why your wife gets hurt by something that seems so trivial to you. But the more you love your wife, the more that what bothers her is going to bother you. Your hatred for what hurts her will lead you to stand up and protect her from the things that hurt her, whether you understand them or not. This hate, it's actually a good thing. Some people will say, you know what, don't use the word hate. That's so strong of a word. Let's not use the word hate. I get that. And you're right, it is a strong word. God is love. But God does hate. Come with me to the book of Proverbs. We're in Proverbs chapter 8, verse number 13. The Bible says this, All who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore, I hate pride and arrogance, corruption and perverse speech. That's God talking. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse number 16, we'll put that up on the screen as well. It says, there are six things that the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who sows discord in a family. If we love God, then we are going to hate the things that hurt Him. Husbands, the more you love your wife, the more you're going to hate anything that hurts her. Wives, the more you love your husband, the more that you are going to hate anything that hurts him. The more you love your children, the more you are going to hate things that hurt them. And the more you love God, the more you are going to hate things that hurt Him. We know what hurts God. Sin. Our sin. The world's sin. All of these things 
hurt God. The world is going to tell you, as a world, I'm turning and these things are now okay. That's what the world's going to say. God's word is fixed. It does not change. What hurt God thousands of years ago hurts God's now, God now and will hurt God in thousands of years from now. What hurt, hurts God are things that we are to grow to hate because it hurts God. See, you can't hate something until you learn to love someone. How do you know what it is that hurts somebody until you get to know them, until you get to love them? See, this is where that selfish thing comes in again. If love is all about you, then you're going to have no clue what hurts your spouse. And we expect them to, to cry when we cry, and we expect them to mourn when we mourn, and we expect them to make us feel better when we hurt, and we expect them to, to, to be there when, when, when we are down, but, but we don't take any time to learn what hurts them. See, healthy relationships that are built God's style, they're not built world's style. See, God's style for relationships, that's not something that the world is going to teach you. It's only something that God is going to teach you. And in order to be taught, you have to be capable and willing to learn. By our nature, we must learn and we have to learn how to love. It's not something that, that we are natural. We don't come naturally with God's ability to love perfectly. In order to be taught, we have to be capable and willing to learn. If we want to master and understand and use God's perfect love as an example, we must be willing to learn what God is teaching. This is so important. This is the fourth and final point in your notes this morning. Love is a verb that we grow into. Love is a verb that we grow into. Let me come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to look at verses number 11 and 12. Watch this. When I was a child, I spoke and I taught and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now, we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. See, you don't automatically show up and just live with God's perfect love. You know why your relationships are rocky? Well, it's because you create your own definition of love. And you don't love God's way. You don't use God's recipe for love. 
You don't bring together all of his ingredients. You're trying, you're trying to love world style, and it's not going to work out. It's because you're showing up at God's restaurant where he makes perfect love, but instead of ordering a big plate of God's perfect love and ordering his signature dish, you reach into your purse that, that you brought in and you snuck in this box of candy and you're feeding everyone Cheez-Its at the table. See, that's not in God's recipe. You tell yourself, though, that what you brought and what the world is teaching you is better than what God has created. And it's not. Not only do us and, and sometimes people refuse to live by God's instructions for love, but some even refuse to read his list of ingredients. We refuse to even look and see what God puts in here. And even more than that, look and see what God doesn't put in here. No one goes into the kitchen to make a masterpiece meal without any experience, without any education. The finest chefs in the world learned from the finest chefs in the world. God's style of love isn't just something that you flip on. You just turn this switch and you say, I've learned it. I'm good. Learning requires lessons. Sometimes we're going to get the answers wrong when we're learning something. And that's okay because we learn from things that we get wrong. Next time we can get the answers right. But see, in our world, some people just want to go from dating to acing the SATs of love without any tutoring. They want to declare themselves perfect on that love test when in reality they are failing miserably. It's because people aren't taking time to grow in God's perfect love. And for some reason, we think the, the, the level of love that we have now is perfect. It's good enough. This is me. This is who I am. This is how I love. These are the qualities I have, and I'm good enough. Look at me. Don't I lo love good enough? But I refuse to open up the book, the cookbook, the recipe book, and see what God has put in to perfect love. I refuse to do anything except what I want to do or what the world tells me I should do. There's nobody here or nobody watching who can perfectly exhibit God's perfect love. We are all still learning how to love. But if you stop learning, you stop growing. And if you stop growing, then you're stagnant. And you know what happens when you become stagnant? After a while, things start to stink. And when things start to stink, or when you've become stagnant and you start to, to stink, you know what happens? People don't want to be around you anymore. 
And when people don't want to be around you anymore, your marriage becomes a statistic because you stop growing. You have refused to take love lessons from God, the maker of love. All because selfishness and pride and the world told you that you were okay with the amount of love and attention that you are currently giving. Telling you love the way that you want to love. Because the world asks you, how does that make you feel? And whatever answer you give is absolutely fine because that's you. You are entitled. How does that make you feel? And then you say, well, you know what? It doesn't make me feel very good. And the world says, well, if it doesn't make you feel very good, you know what? Just leave the bum. And then you both feel lonely. And the world says, that's okay. Go find whatever makes you happy. Because it's all about you. See, that's not God's style of love all about you is not an ingredient in the recipe for God's perfect love. John 3.16, we've read this a couple of times in this sermon series. I'm going to put it back up on your screen. It simply says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I wonder what would happen if God asked himself, how does this sacrifice make me feel? I could simply say, it doesn't make me feel very good to give up my son. What if God said, you know, the world says it's okay. I don't have to do this. I just need to satisfy myself. Me, me, me first. What if God put a whole lot of me into his recipe for love? Well, that would be the world's definition of love. And it's not going to work. That's why God's recipe does not start with me. It starts with others. God's recipe for love does not torment. It is focused on others. God's recipe for love requires sacrifice. It requires us to actually hate the things that hurt others. That's love. God's perfect love is one that we're not going to grow into on our own. You're not going to read, you're not going to go to the bookstore and read a self-help book on love 
and learn how to love perfectly. There is one book, and it's not a self-help book. No, this is a God-authored cookbook, recipe book for love. If you're putting in any other ingredients other than God's ingredients into perfect love, it's not going to work. My challenge for you this week is one, to be open to learning how to love and to understanding that the way you love now might not be the way that God designed you to love. If there is misery in your marriage, if there is misery in your relationships, are we loving the way that God designed us to love? Not the way we want to love, not the way the world wants us to love. Are we loving the way that God designed love? There are things that are not supposed to be in love. I challenge you this week. Look at your relationships and look at love and let's see. Are there any of these things in there that shouldn't be in there? Are there any qualities? Are there any ingredients that we are putting in our love? Are we putting arrogance? Is our love rude? Does it insist in its own way? Is it irritable? Is it, is it resentful? Those aren't ingredients in God's love. Maybe it's time that we check our recipe for love and learn the love the way that God designed love. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you this morning. I want to thank you for... in our lives and in our relationships that we need to excuse, that we need to give up. Lord, is there too much me in our love? Lord, this morning, I pray for those who are in relationships that are built on torment. Lord, this morning I pray for those who are in relationships that are struggling with abuse, that you will make yourself known in relationships and you will lead two people back to your recipe for perfect love. Lord, there's sometimes in our world that... that we should recognize so much earlier that these relationships are built on the world's definition and that they're not healthy. Lord, nowhere in your word did you ever tell us to be abused or to abuse. Lord, let us study your recipe. Let us study your word. 
Let us grow closer to you in the way that we love. And let us use your example of the way you love us as the way that we love others. Lord, as we continue into our annual holiday built on love, let our celebration not simply be cutouts of hearts and candy hearts and flowers. Lord, let Valentine's Day in our world be our movement to incorporate loving your way and not ours. Lord, be our recipe. Be our example. Thank you for loving us like a father and showing us how to love. Lord, draw us closer to your lessons. And it's in your name we pray.